How does this go? I forgot. Hello and welcome to the McYap and Fries movie podcast, Malaysia's longest running, still running yeah, podcast. Yeah, it is still running. Still Hi, running. I'm Gavin. And I'm Ian. And today we're going to be reviewing Bill and Ted's Facing the Musics. <laughs> <laughs> Bill and Ted Face the Music. It's been a while. We haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. Bill and Ted Face the Music. And also we might dip into a little bit of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Yes. I freeze the wild stallions. Let's rock! But uh, first, how you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, because you know, I'm all right. Not everyone follows us and everything, so we are still alive. I think at this point, people have pretty much forgotten all about us. And uh, understandably so. Yeah, at some point, we will get back to Gremlins. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That that was a thing. That was a thing during our COVID streams that we did. Nobody Um, cares. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. Hey, every week I get, you've gotten a few likes on your Facebook page and I always go, but why? I have a Facebook page? We have a Facebook page. Oh, we have a Facebook page. That's right. No, it's like, McGap and Fry's got three views this week and I'm like, what? Yeah. What's going on? People are just catching up. Yeah. Well, to those people... We never left. Yeah. So um, if you have thoughts you'd like to share with us, you can always email us at podcast at com. I got that right. It's not any of the other places I've worked. <laughs> <laughs> you are a little bit of a podcast whore. Yes. God. Yeah. And, you know, I can't blame you. You know, uh, if you were to wait for me, you'd be waiting for a very long time. So I understand. I've been waiting for a I, long I, time. <laughs> I understand you've had to go other places. And... Yeah. Yeah, I have to go to other places to get my podcast fixed because I'm a filthy podcasting whore. Yes, all of Twitter knows this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I thought about this movie. Yeah. Check it out. I Please, mean, like me. I mean, during like COVID, me. during COVID, I was just going up on the roof of the apartment and just saying, Punisher's a, Punisher is well under, is unrespected. Don't you want to know what I think? <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend was really mad when I just followed around the house doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's start off with Bill and Ted Face the Music. The first Bill and Ted movie in, I've no notes, 25 years, let's just say. Yeah, roughly. It's roughly that, right? About 20, yeah. 1991 was Bogus Journey. <sighs> Do you remember? Well, let's start with our feelings on the first two movies. Do you remember? Time was different back then. It was a very, very different time. Like, I think I might have, I don't know how I discovered Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I discovered uh, Excellent Adventure through Bogus Journey. I, I saw Bogus Journey first. Because uh, I was living in, you have to understand, you know, I, we didn't grow up in the same place. Mm-hmm. I was living in Malaysia mm-hmm. in 1990, 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, right next door to Bumfuck, Idaho. We didn't, exactly. Idaho? Utah. Mm. You know, we didn't get fucking Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I mean, I'm sure some kids did, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, so my introduction to Bill and Ted was actually Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is insane. <laughs> this is insane. Um, and it was also my second introduction to uh, Keanu Reeves. My first introduction to Keanu Reeves was actually Point Break. Mm. Uh, I so I, I so I saw uh, Keanu Reeves as a as an action guy first, yeah, and then watched Bogus Journey because both those movies came out in the same year, uh, same year as also My Own Private Idaho. Mm. Like 1991, like Keanu Reeves had My Own Private Idaho, Bogus Journey, and fucking Point Break come out. And don't you motherfuckers say he ain't got range. There you go. Yeah, huh? Little Buddha motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I saw Bogus Journey. I was like, this is genius. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Mm. This is insane. And then later found out it was a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw Excellent Adventure. And, you know, I like, I mean, I love all the movies. Yeah. Um, but Bogus Journey is my favorite. Hmm. I, on the other hand, lived in the land of VHS stores. There you go. Um, where you could rent the Thundercats uh, first four episodes every week. All the time, which you, is what I did for a while. You lucky, lucky bastard. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Sometimes someone else would have the Thundercats VHS that weekend. And mm. you'd have to watch Silverhawks and have your mind blown. And you'd have to hunt down little Rory or whatever his fucking name was. <laughs> say, give me, the, give me that goddamn VHS. I'll go, I'll, I'll go motherfucking Panthro on your ass. <laughs> Summer flat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, th- I think it was either that or because, you know, back in those days, BBC and Channel 4 would buy shit up and just put it on whenever they felt like it or had a gap in the schedule. So I must have, I think I happened across it at that point. So when 91, when Bogus Journey came out, I went to see it in the cinema with some friends who mm. hated it. And I was like, Chuck Denomalos is the fucking sit-up champion of the 26th century. And that joke alone is amazing is amazing and appealed to me and no one else within maybe a 10 mile radius of that cinema 
you have terrible friends. I do. Well, they're not my friends I, I, anymore. I, I, I was going to say, are you still Why do you think people? I moved to Malaysia? <laughs> <laughs> to, <laughs> to get away from these fuckers. <laughs> Fucking Philistines. They don't understand. To find a higher class of person. Joss, Joss Ackland? Joss Ackland. Joss yeah. Ackland's. Yeah. That, that role is iconic. That role and that line, and along with diplomatic immunity... Legend, you know, and sharpening fucking Emilio Estevez fucking uh, skates in yeah. Mighty Ducks. Those three movies alone, cemented. Again, motherfuckers got range. Um, but yeah, I think Bogus Journey was just like wow, because at that point as well, uh, I referred to this a lot that like after the Star Wars movies came out, with regards to science fiction, or Star Wars Back to the Future, I can remember as a kid thinking about like when Back to the Future sequel come out, and it was like it felt like a very long time. It was eighty nine. Yeah, like it was four years. Four years, but as a as a kid, that was like that double was plus eternity. That was huge. It only seems to be now, kind of like in the two thousands and two thousand tens, where it seems to be okay for a sequel to come out twenty, thirty years later. But back then, it felt like that. Yeah, so it, it did. felt like it, did. it did. felt like Bill well, and Ted had mean, something that everyone had known and was a joke about, and then this other one came out and was like, "Whoa, I, I never thought they'd make a sequel to this." And it's been so long, mm-hmm. you know. I was I was a different person. Four years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was way shorter. <laughs> well, I mean, if Bill and Ted Face the Music had come out when people had wanted it to come out, like when the... Because, you know, when Ed Solomon and uh, Chris Matheson, who I was fucking flabbergasted to find out is the uh, the son of Richard Matheson. I am legend? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, I only found that out during the uh, publicity uh, junket for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. Like, at the same time Kevin Smith found out about it, he's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, <laughs> hold up. Hold up. Your dad is Richard Matheson? <laughs> so, uh, but they first pitched this to uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, I think, in around 2008, 2009. So, if it had happened when they wanted to make it, yeah. it would have happened a lot earlier, but there were just so many things that got in the way, like budget not, not just budget but also rights because it was uh it wasn't it was orion it was also mgm and there was uh issues with that and that's one of the reasons why it took such a a long time to get here but, but those, two guys have that, had, those two guys have had a really weird i'm just looking at ed solomon's first because i look at i follow him on twitter and he's a very good twitter follower yes yes um yes. but he's like very funny he also wrote men in black he also mm-hmm. wrote now you, i didn't know he wrote now you see me he was one of the writers on Nice. Yeah, I hope you wrote the good bits because I fucking hate that series. I'm not a fan either. Um, but I don't think he cares. Yeah, but he also was a writer on Charlie's Angels, the first one, the the the, the Drew Bang Award, mm-hmm. and yes. at Super Mario Brothers. Uh, well, if you've uh, done any research on on Ed Solomon, he's not at all proud mm. of uh, <laughs> of uh, the work that he did. But and I'm pretty sure he's done an awful lot of like non credited work as well, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's still well, working he's, in Hollywood. Well, he's an uncredited writer on the first X Men. Um, Which apparently he actually did a lot of writing for. Hmm. Uh, but there was some issues going on with that. And Christopher McQuarrie was like, dude, fuck these guys. We should take our names off this fucking movie. Fuck them. Or something along those lines. And he's like, Chris yeah. McQuarrie, director of yes. Mission Impossible yes. movies. That's yes. insane how he went from that to that, right? Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Because yeah. Christopher McQuarrie wrote Usual Suspects, Suspects. for, yeah. for uh, Brian Singer. Yes, I know. But the jump from all these things is like, what? What is a career? What is a career? I know. But apparently there was there was... Some kind of bullshit, some kind of drama behind it. There's a Hollywood Reporter article on this. Seek it out because what I'm saying is like half remembered at best. Yeah. And Chris- Christopher McQuarrie is essentially like t- told uh, Ed Solomon, it's like, you know, fuck these guys. This is insulting. Tick our name off this shit. Mm. And later in, in retrospect, Ed Solomon is like, I was fucking stupid to do that <laughs> because I was saying goodbye to a whole bunch of res- residual checks. Huh. Uh, but so Bill and Ted face the music. Many many years later, yeah, this movie should not be sh- like if you if you if you think about comedy sequels that happen like way later, yeah, like the first one that pops into my mind is the sequel to The Odd Couple. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of what was the what was the not, it's not Monty Python. What's the other Carry On Columbus was the one that was made like twenty years or 10, 15 years after everything else mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and was just yeah not good. Comedy sequels are tricky yeah. at best. Comedy sequels. 20 30 plus years later yeah even more tricky and i thoroughly enjoyed this movie i thoroughly enjoyed it i did too but i kind of had this so i mean if you don't know it's like it's set now bill and ted still haven't written the song they're supposed to write that will cause all of you know that will cause and peace the, in the future and, and the communication fu- with and the, the, and the future and the future turns up um in the form of uh, george carlin's daughter uh Kristen skull uh 
and which I think is a genius bit of casting, actually, because mm. looking at looking at her, she actually does resemble him a little bit, and I mean that in, in in the best possible way. And there is speaking of George Carlin, there is a beautiful little moment, yeah, where that 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 history of the the first two films is acknowledged, and they'd have to, they can't not, they can't not exactly, but Rufus! I, exactly, and I did. There, there were one thing that shocked me about this movie is that, and this was something that the writers talked about in interviews way before the film even went into production. I remember, like uh, Entertainment Weekly, they were doing this whole thing where they were getting classic, classic film casts and crews reunions, and they had Lord of the Rings and they had Back to the Future, and they also had Bill and Ted. Yeah. And at the time, the script for Face the Music was already there, and they were trying to get it made. It was still part of that long development hell process. And Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson described it as it's a Christmas carol with Bill and Ted. Mm. And when you watch it, yes, it, it, is. it very much is that. That makes sense. Because um, essentially they have about, what, they have an hour and 40 minutes? Yeah. Um, like a, to the, the, the write the, the... The future turns up and basically says, is like, you need to write this song now. Yeah. If you don't write this song within the next 70 minutes, it's the end of everything. Not just the end of the world, it's the end of space-time continuum. It's the end of the fucking universe. Because San Dimas, California is the center of all of reality. There you go. <laughs> which is why, I, which nicely ties into the fact that no matter where you go time traveling, the time is always advancing forward in San Dimas. Yes. You can't just, you know, you can't leave San Dimas, time travel all the way around creation and then come back and have it be the same time. Mm -hmm. Which is a beautiful little, you know, plot point to have. So they decide to steal the phone booth and go to the future and steal it from themselves and find increasingly dickish versions of themselves. Also, the daughters are there, um, who are the Bill and Ted from the previous movie. I was very interested to see how they would do well, how they would deal with the previous movie because they ended the previous movie at the end of the bogus journey. They with have all sons. these. They have two sons, or they just say this is little Bill and little Ted. Yeah, yeah. And then and and they handle that really nicely, really nicely. Yeah. And also, but the entirety of that because at the end of it, they have like Bill and Ted play the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Or you know, turns out air guitar is good for um, global warming. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my favorite gags is death wins the Indy 500. And yeah. the quote is, I didn't know I could run that fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then as, as the, as the, as the kind of the break comes into, um, God gives rock and roll to you by mm -hmm. uh, kiss. Yeah. Um, God gave rock and roll to you. Yeah. You know, there's a few small, like, newspaper articles of like, Wallstein's the split or yeah. death is doing a solo yeah. album and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But then it comes back for the triumphant, you know, coda to the song. Yeah. They left all that in. Like, they did play the Grand Canyon. They yes. were bigger than God. And, like, everyone who's gotten older and seen their favorite rock gods go into something different. Like, Liam Gallagher was always the prick. But now Noel Gallagher is the one who thinks COVID's crazy. And Liam Gallagher is seeming like the nicer one. Yeah. This is, you know, to keep it fresh. Whereas yeah. for years, Noel was the one who was going on um, curly-haired English guy, getting to the Greek... Oh, uh, Russell, uh, Russell Brand. Russell Brand, who yeah. was going on when Russell Brand had a radio show. Yeah. No, Gallagher would just turn up and be a nice guy. Yeah. And yeah. it was cool. And yeah. he's the weird thing. And you see your you see your icons change over time. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see them address that. They've got a good suburban life, but they're worried about keeping the princesses happy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also, it's just the pressure. Like, because imagine being that young yes. and being told... Your music is going to fucking save everything. Save everything. <laughs> and so obviously you're going to keep working at it. Yeah. And to be middle-aged and still working at it and to not have done it. And uh, and just putting the strain on everyone around you. From but you just said, it. this is everything growing up. Being middle-aged and not have done it. Yeah. Whatever it was. Whether yeah. it's to be head of your fucking bank or yeah. to be the best fucking paper boy in your area. Yeah. Like, this is what everyone has to deal with. Yeah. And... And my biggest concern going into this was watching the trailer and seeing them at a wedding. Yeah. It turns out it's Missy's wedding. That's fine. I thought they were a wedding band. And and uh, if you're a fan of the first two movies and, and like the whole way in which Missy keeps marrying into various uh, relatives, yeah. this does not disappoint. Yeah. Catch you later, future wife. <laughs> but um, I thought from the way the trailer had that and had some other things, I was slightly worried going into this that I was going to not like them revisiting these characters because I was worried about how these fifty-year-old men would We're play be talking like like like, teenage, like yeah because even I can't remember, I was watching something recently talking about how even I think it was talking I was in, I was in maybe a review talking about how the first movie shouldn't have existed like the 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 valley talk was so insular yeah and it's something that comes up a lot that I I can't remember who said the quote but it's about the the, the the humor is not being in general, it's being in specific. Mm -hmm. And a specificity can travel. Mm -hmm. And like the San Dimas 
talk mm. has gone global. Yeah. You know I mean, everyone yeah. knows what that Bill and Ted stuff is. Yeah. And seeing them return to it as older people, as seeing John Wick, a man who could murder you 16 ways with a pencil, mm-hmm. going, whoa. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we are of the generation that saw Ted grow into an action icon. Yeah, and saw but him but staring in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula because yeah. that was just Ted. That was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't Keanu Reeves. Yeah. His soul left his body. Ted came upon him and was like... And, and, and it was great to see him revisit Jonathan Harker in <laughs> Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. Uh, but, like, so what I was saying, like, for us, to we, we of the generation that saw Ted grow up to be this action icon. There's a whole new generation of moviegoers that are going to watch this movie and see John Wick <laughs> regress into yeah. like, who, what the fuck is John Wick doing? <laughs> you know, and, and that's really, really interesting. And, and also, like, it's crazy that he, now he has that added baggage. Mm. He comes with that added baggage of having done so much more since then. Mm. And Alex Winter has done a hell of a lot since then, but it's been primarily behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, so... Alex, dra- I mean, I'm still... I don't know why, because of the HBO Go, HBO Max thing... I'm still waiting for Showbiz Kids. It's not on I, yeah, HBO I really, here. I really want to see that. I've been checking every week because you don't always find out when shit drops across the yeah. ways. But like, we're not but, getting all the HBO Go stuff, but we're supposed to. All the HBO Max stuff. But what I what I loved about this is that, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying, the whole idea of being middle aged, is that the movie feels middle aged, and I mean, and I mean that in the best, in, in, I mean that as a compliment, in the sense that they're not try. It doesn't have the same manic energy that something like Bogus Journey had. And I think that that works in the film's favor because if it had tried to do that, it just would have looked weird watching these two middle-aged guys try to act like that. Mm. So I like the fact that the film acknowledges that these guys have grown up and these two guys are playing it grown up. You know? I mean, like, yes, they're... Like, everything has been a little bit toned down. All of the Bill and Tedisms are slightly toned down. Yeah, they're older men referring to their in-jokes. Exactly. And I really, really appreciate that. Not like that. us at all. No. <laughs> and, I, and I really, really appreciate that. It made the laughs more heartfelt. It made the laughs a little bit gentler. It didn't... I mean, there were a couple of big laughs in here. But you really did kind of get the sense that, that this is a final chapter. Mm. And as a final chapter, there are certain emotional beats you kind of need to hit. And not just... It's not the same as Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey where... It's like these guys are in the prime of their life and they're yeah. just fucking going for it. It's a very different. Although Keanu still is in the prime of his life, life he could he could he could just carry like he could literally carry Alex Winter throughout the entire movie like on his back, probably. and he could probably also like b- bounce a basketball while simultaneously hitting targets on a targeting range. I think you're asking too much of the men. <laughs> <laughs> but I was genuinely surprised by the moments of levity, uh, by the uh, the the moments where. Like, for example, there's, you know, like, a, they're, they're meeting future versions of themselves. Who are all dickheads. Yeah. But when it gets to a point where they come to the, where they come to sort of meet, meet the, their counterparts at the, at the very, very late stages of their yeah. lives. First of all, there's some amazing old age makeup. Even the prison makeup. The, the, make, Alex, the makeup Alex, Alex Winter, like, just rocking out in that fucking, head, that muscle suit. Yeah. With the bald head. Yeah. That is, a, it doesn't haunt my dreams, but it's just like. Yeah, that's of course that's what he looked like. Yeah, like and, it's, it's and, I and, mean, and, and he's really spent a lot of time on his deltoids. Yes, and, the and it's like his fucking. <laughs> I mean, I liked those bits, but I felt they. I was waiting for the movie to start for an awful long time. I felt like they were they're touching in with these guys. I mean, they kind of they very very again. It doesn't help watching Tenet the week before, but they they very lightly brunch on the. Uh, touch on the fact that like oh no we're in like a possible future that is incredibly unfair to i know even, to even compare i know to but it's like <laughs> there's a very light thing about there's multiple possible futures you don't when you're visiting your future you're not visiting your actual future yeah you can it, the future can always be changed it's the terminator 2 not terminator 3 uh trip to time travel yeah which is fine they just touch on it briefly because it's like oh you're english now <laughs> where'd you get the english accents and there's a ca- the cameo around that scene is fantastic. It's oh, just yeah. like, it was felt like, okay, I've seen, I think maybe for me, it was might be too much was shown in the trailer. I didn't want to see, if I'd not known meeting themselves in those later versions, I might have enjoyed it a little bit more. I just thought they're like, okay, these are fun diversions, but they're not getting anywhere closer to their goal. Really? I felt that the trailer actually kept a lot of things. Um, mm. I, th- I felt the trailers actually kept quite a few surprises. Mm. I mean, the main surprise, the revelation of the Preston and um, Esquire. Not, not no, I mean, uh, that, Logan, Logan, Logan. <laughs> that revelation 
that made that really made perfect sense to me in a way it's like it made it made sense that the, the future would know but also that like yeah this makes this makes what their 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 life's mission hasn't been their life's mission but they've all they've already done their life's mission by accident just by being really cool guys yeah and taking care of business when it comes to home stuff yeah um and when it came to the eventual climax of everything despite like I was enjoying it, but it wasn't. I didn't enjoy it as much as Bogus Journey, but it did. I did get emotional watching that because they get the solo, yeah, and yeah. they get to shred on that solo, yeah. And that moment really, I think it was that, and it was also when Death turned up. Oh yeah, absolutely. When Death turned up, it felt like it went up an entire gear. Yeah. Um, no, I could. I could. This film could have done with fifty uh, percent more death. Uh, <laughs> Put that on the t-shirt. <laughs> Titanic. This could have done with fifty percent no, more. No, death. because like the the character of death and William is, fucking Sadler and William fucking Sadler is a genius creation yeah. and is part of what made Bogus Journey so awesome. Yeah, you know, and just that scene of them looking around the corner at him playing hopscotch by himself. Yeah, because he's been demoted. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's brilliant. I mean, like I I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you. Yeah. Uh, but I but I also feel that I was really really ready to enjoy it mm. and. Um, it was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what I needed. Um, like, like I said, like to me, it wasn't as sort of laugh out loud funny as Bogus Journey. Mm. But it was a very, very warm, very heartfelt, very, uh, very, um, I, I think very, I, very genuine, very, very genuine. And also just completely devoid of cynicism. Yes. You know, it was such a positive, optimistic, ex- cinematic experience. Yeah. And... Particularly in comedies, and particularly think, in comedies these days, you just don't get that. And I think as well, it also identifies some of the issues with the original in that, like, so there's a subplot of their daughters going to get the best backup band for the boys, knowing that they're going to have to do something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the first people they go get, like, because the first movie is incredibly white. The yeah. first people they go get is uh, Louis Armstrong and, and Jimi Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix. Yeah. Jimmy Hendrix. Well, they go get Jimi Hendrix first, but yeah. he ain't having none of this. Shit. They need Louis Armstrong <laughs> to get Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, and like. I really like that. And then they got some weird flute player from China. Like that was mm-hmm. not, it, it was representation without being in any way cloying or anything like that. It was just nice to That didn't see even that. occur to me. Yeah. It didn't even That's occur. That's why, because it's so just, it's built into it. If you're going to get the bu- the best musicians from all of time, of course they're going to be all over the place. It's not, yeah. it's not a affirmative action. Yeah, yeah. It's literally, of course we're going to get Louis Armstrong. Who else? I mean, Jimi Hendrix on guitar, you're going to get Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen old age, uh, John Lennon in yesterday a while ago and that wasn't great so I'm glad they stayed away from the Beatles I think they made I'm thinking something else um, so that was that was fine with me that they didn't go near that and they got they they pulled together nicely um, mm-hmm. and the daughters are great yeah I did feel that the the the, 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 the princesses might have had more to do a little bit, more, bit, little bit more, to more to do, do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's always been the case I yeah. Think. yeah 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 but yeah but yeah no I mean like uh, if you haven't seen this movie I highly recommend you go check it out. Yeah. Like did a, you, and it's also available on video demand. Did you think it ended rather abruptly? Like it achieved what it set out to do, but then it was just kind of like, we're done. No, not really. Hmm. I got a slight feeling of like, I thought there'd be, I mean, maybe it was just a holdover for me. I would have liked to see more of Bill and Ted, the princesses and the daughters life at home. Maybe the setup at the beginning. Uh, maybe I wanted to see that after the fact as well. Maybe it was something around that. I just want to see a little send off for the families, no, but that's I mean, just me. No, I mean, I think the way that it ended yeah, I, I guess it might have been nice. Not, but, yeah, but, not to but, see the whole thing, but it's like I wanted something to come down. more. No, because yeah. I think like, okay, I mean, by the way... Wasn't there I'm, something after the credits? Yes, by the way, stick around after the credits. Because I think for me, that end, that post-credit sequence did it for me. Which, if there if there had... Oh, yes, 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 that, yeah. If so there, that, if that had been before the credits, I think I would have been more satisfied by that point. It felt weird to me that way. Yeah, but we still had it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, if that post-credit sequence hadn't been there... Then yeah, I would have felt okay. Maybe I want I want just a little bit more. Mm. But that post credit sequence for me nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. It was, was it was it was beautiful. It was fun. It was beautiful and and really poignant. I mean, like I was really really shocked at how emotional you got. Not emotional, like how touched I was mm. because it, I I didn't realize how much I missed these guys. Mm. And um, and we've seen and, so and, many and, people and try really, to do and it. And it badly. really was so cool to see these two guys play these two guys again yeah also Holland Taylor was there which was quite good yes yes yeah. Yeah. oh god we yeah we the robot <laughs> oh the robot what did you think of the robot fucking amazing <laughs> you really liked it I really liked it I, I could I kept feeling like 
Dennis. Dennis. I mean, I could see where it was coming from, but I just felt that so many, like the weird delivery and the, the, the introspection, I could see where it was going. I just felt it didn't quite land for me. I, I mean, okay. Was it laugh out loud funny? No. Mm. But I found him really adorably quirky. Mm. And it was an additional energy that added to the film mm. for me. Uh, but, you know, what was I... Was I laughing my ass off at everything he did? No. Yeah, I was puzzled by him a lot of the time. And I, I, I can imagine that kind of... Some of the things he was saying, I could see how they'd be funnier. It's, I don't know whether it was the editing or something else. It was just like, it wasn't... It just wasn't landing for no, me. No, I think, I think what it is is that... you Because for us, you have no choice but to compare it to other Bill and Ted movies. Hmm. And it is a different vibe. Yeah. It is a different vibe. It's a different energy. And once I settled into that, I really, really enjoyed it. Once you, wrap, you were wrapped up in the blanket. But but once I once I kind of like, you know, because you you know, your 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 sort of your memories of how Bill and Ted are as characters, and sort of seeing in the first 10, 15 minutes of the film is like they are not the same characters. Yeah. And once you kind of settle into that, I found it to be really, really cool. And I also had that sort of that knowledge going in. It's like it's a Christmas Carol with Bill and Ted. Mm. You know, so it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you look at Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, where these two guys are just fucking so full of energy. Mm. And not to say they're not full of energy in this. It's just a different, more middle-aged energy. It's a gen- no, they it's, it's, got it's, so much energy when they're in that prison table. No, it's it's a it's a <laughs> gentler film. Yeah. Compared to the other two, and and that's part of what I really like about it is that the film acknowledges the passage of time. the passage of time of where these guys are in their life. Yeah. And where the people who grew up watching them are also mm. in the time of that. So because they're also touching on things that are relevant to us now as well. Yeah. So. I, I, I really, really, really love it. Hmm. And that's our Bill and Ted review. Let us know what you think. You can get us a podcast at mcgavinfries.com. And after a short break, we'll be right back with our review of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. So there's a second part of our time travel or not time travel related twofer. Uh, let's talk about Tenet. All right. So we'll talk about Tenet first in the vague terms and then we'll have a spoiler break and then we'll talk about spoilers. Sure. Because we'll we, we do this so often, there'll never be another opportunity to talk about it. No, no, you make, you make a valid point. So Tenet is the latest film by Christopher Nolan. Uh... The savior it's of the, cinema. Which is a... <laughs> it's a heavy this, fucking... This, this poor fucking movie, man. You know, the burden that it's had to carry. You know, it's like, will Tenet save cinemas? No one film can save cinemas. And especially no, in Nobody the could have seen this fucking year coming. No one could have seen it coming. And... No, but also, I don't... I only see people addressing the... Uh, appropriating things to Christopher Nolan. He's never come out and said, you have to see this movie in cinemas. Everyone says, like, oh, he thinks it should be seen in cinemas. Or you would think he would want it to be seen only in cinemas. Like, I don't think he's ever... I couldn't find a quote when I was looking into this before mm-hmm. of him saying it should be seen in cinemas. But you know what? Even if he did think that, I wouldn't blame him. Mm. Like, having seen the film, mm. whether you like the film or don't like the film, I don't think there's any doubt that this is a movie that needs to be seen on the biggest screen possible, as as all of his films are. Mm. Like, the guy shoots with IMAX fucking cameras. He shoots in 70 mil. Oh, so, that's the thing. That's Hoyt van Hoytman has called that because of the IMAX cameras, because that's the noise he makes when he picks them up. <laughs> right because they're, they're doing they're doing shoulder mount like there's a lot of scenes he's carrying the fucking giant IMAX camera yeah but what I'm trying to say is is that if Christopher Nolan was actually to be quoted as saying I want people to see this on the biggest screen possible I am gonna wait yeah. we are not gonna have I am not gonna let people watch this on VOD I would completely understand yeah I think this more came down to balancing the books this is a certain yeah. Yeah. this Warner Brothers have got this they've got Wonder Woman they've got What's a whole bunch of movies that are not being released. Not being released. And there's, they've got a, they've got a dollar, they got a high dollar value. You can't just make that decision. It was hilarious. Just take off and nuke the site from orbit. You know, they, like, there, there is a balancing point where they have to say, we have to release something. And I can mean, by the looks of things, Wonder Woman's moved because of the reaction tenant. And Dune is iffy. I mean, they made, they made a lot of big plays for 2020. 
I don't give a shit about Dune. Yeah, really? I really don't give a fuck. Oh, that, I that, no, I'm I mean... It. I'm into it. I'm into that salute that he does with uh, Aquaman. That's a cool knife salute. That's how, that's how I Did you read Dune? Yeah. yeah. All of it. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I did all, all of Frank Herbert's, though. Uh, so I have zero baggage. I read all... Wait, I read all of it. I watched the David Lynch version. I watched the fan edit of the David Lynch version. I played both video games. Mm-hmm. So... I'm a bit of a, I have a still, a still suit at home. I drink my own piss. You I, could say I'm an like, aficionado. Like, I, I, I do have a soft spot for David Lynch's Dune. I didn't realize until the recent rewatch that he's the spice miner. He's like, we've got enough spice here. We're not going to leave the spice behind. <laughs> Did you watch the side-by-side comparison? No, of the trailers. Yeah. I didn't see that. No. I saw that. And you know what? It's side-by... It's, it's, it it's, matches? I kind of prefer David Lynch's. <laughs> you know, okay, what's the name of that guy who... Um, was going to do that really long, psychedelic version of Dune. Hodorowsky. Yeah. Alejandro Hodorowsky. Yeah. And well, that documentary is amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I have yet to see that. Well, he saw the, the trailer for Dune and he commented that, yeah, it looks nice, but there's no surprises. There's nothing there that surprises His me. movie was all surprises. His and movie had like uh, Salvador Dali as the emperor and the ending was completely different. It had him in... It had him something about like his sperm and his blood mixing and then birthing a life and okay that's a bit much crazy. but, but, yeah, but wait, i mean this but, is the guy made but, 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 but i think that that's how i felt watching the dune trailer is that um it's pedestrian not pedestrian <laughs> like no but i mean it's like, doing i when i saw the armor suits i'm like this I, is not as interesting as the still suits from i David thought Lynch. i was gonna see something a little bit more yeah. i mean okay the worm was cool the worm was cool i'm not sure about the teeth but, though. but uh, i'm not i'm not so sure about the worm posing for a still shot mm. you know what i mean <laughs> a still suit shot yeah but they made some big just plays. like i'm just gonna hover here for a bit did you get that in a close-up rose yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and all Tim- right warren and Tim- we're finished <laughs> and Tim- timothy chalamet just like christ <laughs> i do think he's a better fit than i know q sting walking in and saying i will kill her um i think he's a good fit for the age of paul supposed to be this is always a problem with it. i mean right, I, right, I, we right. did a, we did a dune thing on the other side, I worked. Should for. have been Michael Sarah <laughs> as Marlon Brando. It should have been. As, Ma- as, 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 it, sh- it should have been. Mar- it should have been Michael Sarah playing Paul Atreides as a young Marlon Brando. Here's the mind killer. It should have been Michael Sarah playing Paul Atreides, but playing Paul Atreides as his character from Twin Peaks: The Return. I would have, I would have watched that. Movie. I would have watched the fuck out of that. Movie. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, that fucking worm stands no chance. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, Zendaya. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> sure did four days on set. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> so it gives a good idea where the fucking movie ends, where they split the book. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we should talk about Tenet. Yeah, Tenet. So Warner Brothers have made a lot of big plays. There is a certain point where everyone has to decide where they're going to make some money. And Tenet hasn't made the money. It hasn't made a huge amount of money in the US. I mean, it made $200 million Considering the- that it's been released in the middle of a global pandemic. It did and, all right. And, and, it's, and it's made over yeah. $200 million and it's still going to make more. Yeah. I, I, I would not count that as a failure the problem is that the 200 million outside the u.s would have indicated 320 plus from the inside of the u.s on a normal day yeah so and that's half that's half that's half uh capacity theaters outside the u.s most places anyway. yeah so yeah it stars uh jd washington son of denzel washington jd right now dj jd john david john david yeah, yeah. i don't know if, it's, if he what's his what his people first to go by i didn't realize it's the same guy as black clansman he was great in black Clansman. Yeah. and also and, he and, loves hiding behind his beard and he really really does have the same cadences as his dad i didn't get it as much i mean i was focused on like the, that on the that i actually found that borderline distracting it's like this guy sounds just like his dad but he's not always it was his dad he's always playing with his pants right I no, no. Is, I mean, he doesn't I, do that. Like, does he play with his pants? I think there's someone where he's always pulling, you pay hiking way his pants. More, you pay too no, much I think I saw I saw someone pointing at the fact that he's always playing with his pants. No, no, no. But no, I like he's got his dad's cadences. He's his father's son. Let's just put it that way. But I mean, I didn't get it because he's not talking that much in this movie because yeah. it's a it's Christopher Nolan does a Bond movie again, which is what the end of Inception was. Yeah. He's the protagonist, in yeah. case you didn't know. And actually, that's his name. He's the protagonist. He's the protagonist. And that fucking annoyed he... the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he called himself the protagonist, I was like, fucking fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, are you? Are you yeah. really? <laughs> I mean, have you read Snow Crash? <laughs> I have. Yeah, so it's not hero protagonist at least. <laughs> he's not Asian. Um, yeah, so he's, in, he's he's inducted into this group tenant and he finds out that time not time doesn't go backwards. It's, it's certain objects go backwards through time, which is completely different from time travel. Yeah, um, this is off to a great start. And uh, <laughs> okay, basically, like the plot essentially is about a bunch of time traveling warriors 
who are trying to stop World War Three. Yeah, that just is, like uh, that Millennium. Is, that is essentially what it is. Millennium. Remember that movie? Yeah. Do you? What the movie? Yeah. It's an old movie. You don't know. Movie or series? Movie. No. Yeah, it's even older than the series. Anyway, no, talk about that off mic. Um, <laughs> and uh, like this review, it's hard to follow, <laughs> or it seems to be hard to follow. It's not that hard to follow, but I mean, the, it's it's, not- it's it's a, it's it's a it's a Christopher Nolan movie. I rewatched Following and some of his earlier movies, and the opening of Following has some re- some music that is like a bug in your ear, where it's like you feel like something is itching at you, and it's like clicking a ticking clock. And then when you watch more of his movies in, like, in the run-up to a new movie, you realize he does this all the time. And listening to when the soundtrack was eventually released, because it wasn't released on Spotify when the movie came out here, it was released when the US release date was. Mm-hmm. And it is that as well. There's that kind of... And it's really propulsive and it's really good. And the action is really great. And the time travel is really good as well. And I really liked it. No, I, I really enjoyed the film. I mean, it is a huge event blockbuster. It's an event film. And Christopher Nolan... God, fuck, I mean, I'm like, I can't think of any other filmmaker right now who is able to get studios to give him so much money Mm. to make these kinds of original movies that are not based on anything. It's not a sequel to anything. These are original stories. Whether you like them or not is besides the point. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I have liked everything that he's done. Mm -hmm. Um, All of his films challenge the audience. But challenge them in a way without insulting them. You know, it's like the, the thing that's great about Chris Van Nolan is that he he trusts you. He's like, I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to tell this story. And I trust that you that I, I trust that you're going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. You know, and and I mean, like I've heard like from quite a few quite a few different people that they had problems understanding the film. I personally didn't have that problem. Mm. Um, I mean, okay, I've only seen it once. I'm sure if I go back and see it again that there will be other things that I notice. Um, I've heard different people talk about symbolisms and colors and all of that. There's a relatively minor plot point that I missed at the beginning that uh, the first time around that didn't didn't impair my enjoyment of the film whatsoever. When I was watching it, there's a certain point where they go to Oslo and something happens and you're like, what is this? And then uh, later on, they go back there for time travel reasons, which we'll get to in spoilers. And I thought... Being the cinema aficionado and a particularly fan of things like Predestination and... You know, exactly. This movie smacked of Predestination. Right. There was so much Predestination in this movie. And Predestination is a movie that, in my opinion, does not get nearly enough play. It's a classic. And have you seen... You haven't seen Triangle either, right? With no, George. I haven't seen Triangle. You should see Triangle as well because it kind of plays into some of this stuff with multiple stuff time stuff going on and is scary and and, awesome. and and it's fucked up that you bring up Predestination because Predestination, in my opinion, is a far superior film. Hmm. To this. That's just because we've got Ethan Hawke in it. No. <laughs> and what's okay. her name? I can never remember her name. Um, uh, Sarah Coon. Oh, Sarah Coon, right, yeah. Yeah. No, but, pre- okay, in the sense that if you if you, if you you want to talk about what the fuck moments, yeah. there, there are no what the fuck moments in Tenet. Mm. There's some, oh, that's clever. You know, there's, yeah. a, there, there's a lot of, like, uh, kinds of moments, there, there's a lot of moments in Tenet where things sort of come full circle and you'd be like ah clever because time is a flat circle yeah clever clever there's a a lot of cleverness in Tenet but there's no WTF holy shit that fucking blew my mind the way that the way that Predestination yeah Predestination will fuck you up it's great Love It'll it. really fuck you up. Yeah. Uh, uh, the thing for this for me was that like, okay, I don't know. We, it was so mysterious going in. You don't know what's going on. There's the backwards forwards of trailer stuff and all that kind of thing. And watching it, I was going along. When it returns to Oslo, you're thinking, I've got this time travel stuff figured out. I have a good idea what's happening here. And I was like, oh no, I'm wrong about certain things. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of giggling then because it's like, oh, I'd like to be challenged by a filmmaker. And it's just like, he's, one, he's at least maybe two steps ahead of me, but also behind me in time. As entropy works backwards, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. got me in the palm of his hand, mm-hmm. and I think I'm slightly up his wrist, mm-hmm. uh, reaching towards his throat. But instead, no, I'm in the palm of his hands, and he's got me exactly where I want me. And I really, it's the same. I mentioned, I think, somewhere else about like it's the same feeling when I realized Stranger Things wasn't going to be a murder, a kid murder story. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be a psycho in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like the the opposite of the feeling when you're watching um, the first season of True Detective and there's all these allusions to the King of Le- Yellow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't turn into these two cops confronting Lovecraftian monsters. Mm-hmm. It's just a guy in, a, in an apron. Mm-hmm. And that's disappointing. In Stranger Things, at least the first time around, 
you're like, oh shit, there is a parallel universe. Oh shit, there are monsters that are like the, the Dungeons and Dragons things. And that's cool for someone who grew up in a time where you had Star Wars and you definitely, I, I was trying to bring this up earlier, you wanted to have more shows, more things like that and anyone who tried failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Like all the versions of uh, Roger Corman's Battle Beyond the Stars, I've seen them all. They all use the exact same special effects in multiple movies mm-hmm. and none of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> but you were looking for the next Star Wars. That's yeah. why I like the Ice Pirates because it fails so badly at being the next Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the Tenet doing a time travel thing, I haven't seen before. Even with the the Hens of Predestination in there, they go their own way. Yeah, and I was just thrilled watching it and seeing objects. Like the challenge for him was having objects moving forward in time and moving backwards in time interacting with each other and having watched ghost last night and remembering how the pinnacle of special effects at that time was to have things pass through a weirdly glowy patrick swayze mm-hmm. this is done with like no in no cgi effects it's just people acting backwards and stuff yeah and i loved a lot of the stuff was done on camera a lot yeah. like the action sequences the fight sequences this is not shit done in reverse they actually rehearsed these fight sequences in re- in reverse yeah uh people like uh, the actors, uh, John David Washington, Kenneth Branagh, they were, when when they're speaking backwards, they're really speaking backwards. Hmm. Just like Chris Martin did in the video for The Scientist. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Kenneth Branagh, he just loves doing, he's just only doing accents from now on, right? I'm looking forward to Death of the Nile, but like, I, I haven't seen Shadow, Shadow Recruit. Well, I think, okay, before we, before we get there, it's like, okay, so John David Washington... We his, still haven't explained the movie. His, <laughs> well, basically, his character needs to get in touch with Kenneth Branagh's character, like Andre Sato. Mm. Is that his name? Sato? Sator. Sator. And his company is called Rotas. There you go. And Sorry, have you heard of the Sator Square? No. Spoilers. We'll talk about that later. Okay. And uh, I just saw it once. I was just watching. I was just taking it all in. It's not and, in the movie. It's something separate. Okay, yeah. fine. And he's got to... Uh, and so John David Washington's character, whose name, his character's name, I can't remember. He's the protagonist. He's the protagonist. They he's don't the... have a name for his character. Okay. He just says, okay. like, I'm the protagonist. He, when he ingests certain characters, but he's never at any point referred to okay, by name. Okay, so he's got to get in touch with Kenneth Branagh's wife to get to, to arrange a meeting to, to uh, get in touch with Kenneth Branagh because Kenneth Branagh is the one who is essentially going to be the one who destroys the world. Yeah. Basically. And forms a, I guess, a connection with the wife. Yeah. Elizabeth Becky. Yes. And then that's when the plot kicks in. Because he's chasing up who... This is the thing. This is why it's so much like a Bond movie. The example I always give is like, what's the Roger Moore movie where he's a clown? There's a clown murder at the beginning of the movie. Oh, fuck. Is it Moonraker? I don't think so. I think it's maybe... I know know the one you mean. It has a clown running through like Brussels or something. Is and it only like, live twice? No, no, you only twice is actually Sean Connery, right? Yeah, Three Eyes Only, I think maybe. It's it one of those. Are yeah, it's one of those. Ones. I, I I know the one you mean. But I, like the, I I can I, I see it in my head. I just can't remember. But which the whole one point is, is the all movie, fucking interchangeable. But the whole point is the movie starts with the clown running through a city with a big wheel, getting murdered, and it turns out he's 006. Right. Now cut to 25, 30 minutes later, Bond is like blagging his way into some villain's lair, and the connective tissue between those two scenes is tenuous to say the least, and that is in which way this movie is most like Bond, because it's like he starts off chasing the bullets. Mm-hmm. That's why he goes to India. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and that's yeah. why they connect to this guy. So then they think he he must be someone to talk to. At that point, they don't even know he's doing anything. Yeah, right. And the bullets end up being fucking nothing at all. Yeah, which is what happens in the Bond movie. Yeah, and like there is a scene in the Bond movie where you know. Someone says, I mean, it's a very interesting scene. Like, it's a weird scene for a, a Nolan movie where they're like, it's not PG, but like, there's not an awful lot of weird shit in there. Where he's talking about, we're going to take you over to this field across the way. We're going to cut a hole in your throat. Oh, no, no. That, 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 that is brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant, but it seems out of place that in is, a way, in that, a weird that way. That is brilliant. I mean, do you want ice cream? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, but it's like, like he's gonna, he's gonna, we're gonna put your balls in your throat, and we're gonna watch you try and pull your balls no, no, out no, of your no. throat. Don't, don't, don't say it. It's too late. Never mind. I think it's, it's the thing is it, but it's like there is that moment in every Bond movie where he says "thunderball" or you know, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. one word gets him put away when the, the, the thugs are dragging him away. For me, it was you expect good. me to talk? No, I expect you to die. And then he's like, "Oh, what about Operation Grand Slam?" Like, there's that always that moment in a Bond movie where he's scared. He's, skirts by on bullshit like that scene for me is more uh 1987's red heat 
you know, where it's like you ship drugs to my country, and one day you shall wake up with gobs of water, you know, <laughs> with your testicles and gobs of water <laughs> next to your bed. And it's like, I am a holy man. I but got no need for testicles. But it's that idea of, you know, Bond will say something that yes, will get him yes. to continue the plot. Yes. And yes. It, it does all those beats. It yes. just turns out that it's the end of the world that's in, in, uh, in play. And yeah. not just in a global nuclear war kind of way in a more end of time and but it's one of those things where it's just like you know chris nolan he he can't just do an espionage no he can't you know he's it has to be dreams or (laughs) Or you know time he has to do space but for some reason and and it can't be time travel it's got to be uh inverted inverted entropy inverted entropy and it's like and and i'm sure it's because of things like that he made a whole movie about matt damon fucking up space for everyone which I is lo- going to happen. I love that movie, by the way. You know, and Ben Affleck will save us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I am sure that that is one of the Sorry, I'm just imagining Interstellar where they're, they're having the confrontation on the ice. It's like and ben, ben Affleck, Affleck just comes in off ben, frame and just punches the just fucking shit. Just punches him and he's like, I am the moon raper. <laughs> no, but I am sure that that is one of the reasons why people have had trouble following this film. Because the dialogue mm. is incredibly dense and needlessly wordy and complicated hmm. when know, i ordered my hot sauce an hour ago it was a great line uh, <laughs> you didn't like that no i felt a lot of the humor fell flat uh-huh. and uh i mean he's a, I, but i felt he's an engaging he, he's an engaging presence no though. yeah he is he is no, jd washington that is and and uh you know don't get me wrong i enjoyed the film mm. but i did feel that a lot of the dialogue was needlessly complicated mm. uh and the whole thing of what he does for uh, Sator's wife, it, it, it really took like this huge leap of you just trying to have to suspend disbelief that there's some kind of connection mm. that he would put himself that much out there. Because he really does. Because like, the one thing that's missing as a Bond movie, there's no sexy times with the Bond girl. There's no sexy time. There's no sexy nothing. Yeah. She, gets you know, a peck, she gives him a peck on the cheek at one point. And I was like... There you go. It's like, oh, that- well done, you. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a little peck on the cheek. Time friends. <laughs> just He's been time friend zone. You know, hey, pet brother, pet brother. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, I'm in the friend zone. But it, watching it the, se- the first time around, I missed the peck on the cheek. The second time around, I was like, yeah. No, he- the first time around, he gives her a peck on the cheek. Is that how it works? Yes. Oh. When he goes to dinner, when, you know. Oh, yes, there. He gives and then her she a peck gives on, one later on. And then on she the gives movie. him later on. But at the time, I was like, like, there's definitely, like, his acting is that there's a romance going on here. It's just not in the movie. Maybe and Kenneth Branagh's acting is very much like, you're fucking my wife. Yeah. I'm going to fucking cut your balls off. You know, and... Which is great. But the amount of shit that this guy puts himself through for this woman, yeah. to me, did not make narrative sense. Mm. Okay. Actually, no, okay. It made narrative sense. It didn't make emotional sense. It, I didn't yeah. understand why he was doing it. It was... Like, I it understand was plot, why... What's it called? I plot under- focus instead of character focus. Exactly. I understand why he was doing it for the plot to kick in and yeah. for certain plot devices to work. I did not understand why he was doing it as a person. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's a failing of it. But, you know, at some point they make a truck sandwich and I really like that bit. Dude, there's so much to like about this. I, 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 like, I am talking about like, yeah. a, like a character. No, bit. I know. I'm joking. But yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. moving the points on because we've, made, we've belabored this point okay. quite a bit. All right. um, should we just move into spoilers? I think we should because it's almost impossible to figure out what is or what isn't a spoiler. I mean, they crash a plane and that doesn't feel like it's a stunt. No. Right? It doesn't feel like Tom Cruise dropped at the outside of an airplane. No. Um, the guy from yesterday's there. Robert Pattinson's kind of cool, and it's I I really enjoyed it both times. Uh, I overanalyzed the shit out of it, um, with regards to how things work, and I think it's a bit simpler than I actually planned it was. It's not my favorite Nolan film, um, I but I would highly recommend it, and I do feel that it should be seen on the biggest screen possible. Mm. Go watch it on IMAX if it's playing on IMAX. I would uh, actually because I saw it first in IMAX and. Oh, I found some of the audio bad in IMAX and actually I saw it in the big screen at the MBO afterwards and it was clear. I don't know whether they cleaned up things or whether it was different. And there has been, I think the Guardian has an article on this, some other places of articles, how the sound has been causing problems for people in multiple different types of screens. Um, a friend of mine has seen it like six times, but none of those were Dolby Atmos. So I'd be interested to see how it plays in that. Um, but it did, it was, it was, it was like 20% clear the second time I saw it, right. which is unusual. Um, Maybe it's because you knew what to expect. And if you haven't seen it, yeah, that's also another thing. If you haven't seen it, where there's a scene where Kenneth Branagh and himself are talking through glass, don't li- listen to one side of the conversation at a time. Because trying to do both breaks your brain. Because it's, it's easier to figure out what one person says than what the other person says. Because it's over, it's over, it's over, it's over. A lesser movie would have given you the space to hear them separately. In this, there's like, 
two versions of pe- two audio pe- clips of people talking overlaying in a discordant way. Mm. Spoilers. Time travel. No. Spoilers. Um, yeah, it's about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not much to say. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, like uh, the 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 turnstile. I mean, it's it's been out a while. People have seen it. The turnstile. Well, not some people haven't. A lot of people in the US haven't seen it because they're not going to go see it in a pandemic, and a lot of websites aren't reviewing it because of that. Um, but I think the time travel element of it is cool the idea that these objects are moving themselves through time they're not time traveling they're just going backwards so there's an element of you don't pick up the bullet you have to you don't you don't you don't pick up a bullet you have to have feel like you dropped it it is it is very nice that you have this time travel element where it's not like okay you go back to this point in time and then you then you move forward yeah it's like you are literally moving backwards, backwards in, through in, time. in everything and if you and, die and, and, your corpse will continue to move we had a long conversation about this about the, the broken mirror on the bmw mm. uh, from the yeah, car yeah, chase yeah, 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 yeah. um that mirror was broken from the moment it was made yeah yeah right up until the point it got unbroken when the car hit it yeah because did you notice that time buddies and it's like the bullet things just there's so many clever yeah. ways of influencing it, and that scene I talk and, about, in and, and also and also like when you know when the when the woman was was briefing him about what to expect, yeah, was also incredibly cool, yeah, and you, you know it's it feels weird. Of, you're not because sh- you're not shooting the gun, you're catching the bullets, yeah. Cool. So so things like that were very very nice and very very clever, uh, and they were a lot of fun, yeah. But yeah, I mean like I I am looking forward to when I do see it again. There's a lot to unpack in that car chase, mm. uh, just to sort of see, like you know, and like was cool he in the car and all that, you yeah. Know, like, oh, oh. And uh, but but Elizabeth Debicki like jumping off the jumping off the boat, like she sees herself. Yeah. To me, that was the most predestination yeah, moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fact that I didn't catch it really because again, they don't explain things. But like Sir Michael, and it seems to be I don't know is he retiring? The way like his character is called Sir Michael, like. The real Sir Michael Caine and JD Washington. Well, he was even cl- says he was clearly too old to play Kenneth Branagh's part. Yeah, but he's so, also like. Otherwise, I think Chris Nolan probably would have used Michael. But Caine. JD Washington says like goodbye, Sir Michael, and he doesn't. He says something, but there's no audio. He's like his his mouth's kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's something weird there, but it just like feels like he's, I, it, it's like Christopher Nolan saying goodbye to his um, lucky charm, saying like, I didn't. If get you that. want to retire, you're good. Because he called him Sir Michael. Yeah, yeah, I know. I yeah. just thought that was like a little nice in-joke. Also, you put a Goya in a Harrods bag? <laughs> how good is Kenneth Branagh in this movie? How, how good? Uh, we oh. talked off Mike earlier about there's a moment where he's pissed with Elizabeth Debicki because she didn't kill him or she threatened to not kill him or he's saying mm-hmm. he's, she didn't kill him. And he's putting um, cufflinks into the holes in a belt. Mm. And it's just one of the most terrifying things. Like the casual... It's casual cruelty of mm. it. And she's like terrified and he's standing beside the one spot she knows is a gun. And he only stops doing it because of like plot points. But like that is such a cool little thing of character. Mm-hmm. But like he has no compunctions about sm- not only whipping his wife, but adding cufflinks to inflict further damage. Well, in a in an interview, um, Kenneth Brandon was saying that like Chris Nolan had pulled him aside and said, um, please, whatever you do, don't try and find the humanity in this guy. Wow. Like, uh, don't try and find, mm. like, the, you know, like, there's no other hidden side. He yeah. is completely evil. And that's sold in the idea that he'd rather watch the entire of existence be unraveled, like a yeah. carpet, yeah. And that, yeah. than actually lose it. But, like, because there's only one fuck, like, uh, in, in the entire film. And mm-hmm. it's when he it's when he snaps at her, like, when he's, like, showing her the guns. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, when, when she pulls the gun on him. Like uh, and then like it's that whole thing about like I only see was it I've seen anger become despair in yeah, your yeah, eyes yeah 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 and yeah it's just and then like when he knocks her down and he's just like fuck oh I just want to smash her fucking face he's so Ooh. creepy that moment it's just him raising the voice yeah it's yeah, yeah just oh his turnstiles have red and blue lights as well everyone uses the red blue thing apparently it's an international standard mm-hmm. I mean for me uh, I didn't really get. I, I didn't really get the color thing. When I say I didn't get it, I mean I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I was paying attention to the experience and just getting lost in the ride and, and, and the plot. It's always like uh, blue the, is in, red is out, I think it is. Yeah, like around. in terms, like the colors, I didn't notice them at all. Yeah. 
No, it's just, it's only a small thing. It's like that he has like there's a red and a blue side to the turnstile, so you don't accidentally walk into yourself, I guess, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or something else. No, but I remember like uh, like 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 uh, Trina had mentioned to me that she had spoken to a colleague, and the colleague had mentioned something about colors. Mm. So I had kind of like started the movie just sort of looking out for it, and then after a while, I just kind of got lost in the story. Mm. I'm like, whatever, like I can't be bothered. And I mean, again, like a Bond movie, it's, I can never, I think it is, I think I'm, I'm right this time, I think it is You Only Live Twice, where they have the CIA ninjas coming down the ropes in the volcano base. Oh, the, Blofeld. yeah, yeah, yeah. The end is total Bond movie attack, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It has like CIA ninjas attacking a place. Although the third act for me was like incredibly well orchestrated, mm. but having said that, because everyone kind of looks the same. Yeah, everyone's wearing suits. It, I think it they, does It does get a little bit difficult to follow and I and I did lose interest in mm, the third act. Because like if, in that in that big sort of fucking uh, action sequence. Because the setup is that if you run into your if you run into yourself or run into touching things out when you're when you're inverted can lead to a time cop problem where you turn into Ron Silver goo on the floor. There you go. Which you don't want to have. Which you don't want to do. Yeah. Because that's bad. No. I rewatched that clip recently. It's gross. What the Ron Silver? Ron play? Silver touching Ron Silver thing. It's just what, turned... just on its own. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, that's it, just it's on such, YouTube. That's such a random. But it has it has the whole build up and it has um, John Claude Van Damme. Oh, what do I want to do today? I want to watch the. I want to watch Ron Silver. I want to watch Ron two Ron Silvers. <laughs> two for the price of one Ron Silvers devolve into a weird screaming ball of goo on the floor. Like if I'm going to watch any Ron Silver clip, it's going to be Blue Steel. Mm. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. Um, oh, another good Catherine Bigelow movie. But yeah, Neil Neil's time fuckery with that movie at the end of the movie is 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 slightly confusing, and that he's like the whole movie is yeah. you got the red team and the blue team, blue team are arriving at the point the nuke goes off, and the nuke goes off in the ground. Did you get that the um, algorithm is not a device? No, uh, the algorithm isn't a bomb. The bomb is always going to go off. The bomb has gone off before the movie starts on the fourteenth because mm-hmm. Sir Michael Caine says, "Oh, well, we heard a nuclear bomb go off." It was well good. And um, so the algorithm is an expression. Like if you look at it and measure it, it explains how to do the time travel thing or how to make the bomb. Right. And uh, Kenneth Brenner's Fitbit is when, when he dies, it'll send an email to everybody that we'll find in the future that will say he died on this date. And they say, well, we'll set off the device that fucks up everything on that date. So he has to have his happy moment. Right. Um but it's not really clear in the movie because it feels like yeah, I didn't get that. It feels like there's a clock on the wall, and it feels like we're, we're, we you can't kill Kenneth Branagh until it literally is the perfect combination that we talked about Bill and Ted because it is the time game from the end of Bogus Journey. Mm. They they can't be sure that when they say like ah, but I I will I will set up the cage and the gun because I will win this co- this yeah, competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like if we set up the cage, we, we set, set up the, the gun. gun and we set up a sandbag. Um, <laughs> if the algorithm doesn't go down the shaft with the bomb because the whole point is you set off a bomb so that you can pass things to the future because you need to have somewhere where it has to be sure that no one will build a mall or a car park and find your message to the future and disrupt it from getting into your allies right. so you put it in a nuke area that's safe for thousands of years in the future they dig it up they have a look at it then they can read the message and send you something back they mentioned this as well did you notice that about the the time, tra- the the communication with the future feeling almost instant. So you bury a case now in a nuclear area that says like, "I'm burying this on the 25th of September. Um, please send more irradiated money." And then you come back on the 26th, and they've sent back more irradiated money. No, I didn't get that. Yeah, because it's like when they read that message in the future, they know that we'll just put it here and leave it there until that point. And it's in a nuclear area, so no one will disturb it in between. Like if you just left it outside on the road, you know someone's going to nick it. So it won't be there in the future, and then we'll be able to send it back. Yeah, that's that that scene. That scene of him finding his first job is a letter to him because he's one of the few people who will cross into a nuclear zone, mm. and is recorded as having done that, so they can send something back in time to him. Because the number of people who will have been in a nuclear zone is very small. So it was either him or his mate. Maybe it was a second box for the guy he killed. Right. So. I like that all that time travel stuff makes sense in a way. Yeah, no, I mean, like, by the time you get to the end of the film, all of these different things all sort of interconnect. Yeah. It's, it's you're just, doing the tenant hands. It's, it's just that, it's just you that, can't not do the tenant hands when you're talking about this thing. It's a palindrome, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, so, so this is the Seder square I was talking about. It's a, it's a Greek thing that was discovered at some point, and it's like a, a series of words in a square that can be read any way. Sator is at the top, Rodas at the bottom. Opera and Arepo are, are palindromes of each other. 
So Arepo is the artist we never meet and opera is where some of the stuff happens. I did really like at the beginning of the movie as the orchestra is tuning up as soon as they're ready to go, it's like tap, 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 gunfire. Yeah. No, that like, was cool. That was very cool. That, that, that I was, was like, oh, because cool. usually you're used to getting the, the band will start and then something will kick off. But the, the other whole thing made no sense to me the first time I was watching it. I was like, why is he here? What are they getting? But it's like, he's working CIA there after the news. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the car chase, the plane crash. Robert Pattinson's really cool in this. Everybody's really cool in this. Hmm. No, like I don't think anyone is badly cast. Oh no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like in a cast of great, I think he's really cool. Was like, no, he he does he does stand out. Yeah, he does stand out. He is a little bit dramatic, a little bit. Yeah, but no, wait, but just, that's what he says about crashing the plane. But just enough. Yeah, but just enough. And also, like compared to to John David Washington, most people are a bit dramatic. Mm. Like John David Washington is incredibly stoic. Yeah, like very very stoic. So you kind of need someone like, like what Robert Pattinson is doing as Neil. Mm. Also, so, he wears some exquisite scarves. He does. He's, he's never not wearing a scarf or having his his, his um, collars unbuttoned. Yes. Because uh, Kenneth Branagh stole his cufflinks to put in his belt. There you go. <laughs> I like how most of the English actors have their English accents. Mm. Except Kenneth Branagh. And he loves playing Russian. Again, I didn't see... How is this compared to his Russian and Shadow Recruit? Have you seen Shadow Recruit? Uh, it's about on par. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is a very weird review of Tenet. <laughs> we kind of went all over the place. It's probably the best review ever. I think it might make... It's like sense. the movie. It's it like make, the movie. I think the review makes more sense if you play it backwards. Yeah, there you go. I think, but that scene where you... Reali- when I realized that... not only, I thought it was going to be Neil and JD going into the turnstile... And then fighting themselves. When I realized it was all JD, like JD's fighting himself, and then which, JD's which also, is, which, is also which is also very predestination. Yeah, and then I mean, you, and the moment you see like Neil takes the helmet off, and you're like, I thought well, was that Neil? I thought it was that it was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I didn't know it was JD yeah, the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was. That's when I was like, okay, now I've got your rules down. I think as we said earlier, the movie explains rules very well. Yeah, it's not hard to follow. Louder for the mic, please. No, did you did you see uh, did you hear an interview that Robert Pattinson did in reverse? He... Did the interview in reverse? In reverse. Well, that's just showing off. <laughs> He's back to being a prick now in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we said that earlier. You missed it. You need to speak louder for the mic. It's a, a question from the audience. More of a question of a comment, is it? <laughs> anyway anyway yeah that's our review of Tenet rambling and incoherent as it was yeah which um, is you know kind of like the film Enter- uh, enter- I, I entertaining did, a little bit rambling but I really enjoyed it I did think uh, Ludwig Göransson's soundtrack is really good although it was good in the sense that I thought it was Hans Zimmer same but I thought it was Hans Zimmer when I saw this guy's name pop up it's my first time seeing his name I was like holy shit and also watching it I thought because <laughs> Hans Zimmer because Hans Zimmer is busy doing Dune yeah He's, he's busy remixing Pink Floyd. That's a Pink Floyd mix on the trailer. Stop bringing it back to Dune. Um, but the thing is, when I was watching it, because again, having watched a lot of uh, Nolan movies in the lead up, I was like, is he just riffing on the Dark Knight at this point? There's a point that feels there, like the there, Dark there, Knight. No, there is. There yes. is. Yeah, There's yeah, another yeah, moment yeah. that feels a bit very Inception-y. Yeah, yeah And yeah. then to realize it's not him. Yeah. Um, but I will say, Zimmer's soundtracks are good to listen to for working and running not when you're watching the movie? Because you feel like you're running away from something? Well, no. Inception Inception <laughs> makes... Like we said before, Inception makes going... Time from Inception makes going to the shops sound fucking awesome. Um, listening to this soundtrack without the movie, it's really annoying. I can't do it. I tried it, like, listening to it, and it's just like... it's it's My the, favorite Hans Zimmer uh, Nolan score is... Collabo. Interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah. That's grown on me recently. Um, again, there's a, a, I brought up before Patrick H. Willems that, is a YouTuber a, guy. That's a fucking amazing score. He does a, a piece on how IMAX kind of improved his career because if you look before IMAX and after IMAX, um, Nolan shot everything very close mm-hmm. and he gave his action scenes and everything else more room after working with IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to rewatch Interstellar because it's reminded me of that. I ha- if, if you put um, on Spotify, if you put Inception Time, if you play the radio on that, you get an awful lot of uh, Interstellar, and I forget how good that kind of—it's like, it's like an organ, right? That and then whenever I hear that, I just see that because the cameras are always mounted on the outside of the spaceship. It's a very cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. It of makes cool. it very real. 
And that's it. That is what this movie does as well. It makes it real. It's all grounded in realism, and they blew up the plane. But yeah, Inception. It's uh, not in- this movie. It's um, Tenet. Tenet. <laughs> it's been a long time getting better here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, go check it out. Go check it out. I mean, it's worth it's worth your time, regardless of uh, the uh, small little issues I had with it. I had a good time with and it. I'll be interested to see how it plays on the small screen. Yeah. Because I think that IMAX thing, it might reduce the scale, but it makes things clearer in some way. So that is our McGap and Fry's movie podcast episode. Who who knows? Yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? See, see you again next year. See you again next year, maybe. Yeah, uh, all right. If you'd like more of this, let us know. We'll set up a Patreon. You can pay us for this shit. Um, you can email us at podcast at com. We are always, of, of course, on at McGap and Fry's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook but we don't Facebook's evil so uh, yeah let us know what your thoughts are on these things and your favorite bits thank you for listening Uh, be excellent to each other and party party on, on dudes